But what hasn't changed, I think, for for both of us and our teams is just a dogmatic commitment to say good enough isn't good enough for the communities we're here to partner with and serve. That uh, even when you feel the relief of seeing case counts decline in Colorado, we're still seeing today at, at this point in the pandemic, nine people a day are burying a family member because of a death from COVID. And so that, I think, has been a shared commitment from both of us is to say, We're actually very impatient and we're going to continue to be impatient with the idea that we can wait around or we can do we can do a six month study and then come back and then have an idea of what needs to happen next. We're going to we're going to listen hard and then we're going to play just as hard with the information and the the insight we've gotten. Welcome to the In On Health podcast. I'm your host, Kapama Yopala, and I go by KP. I'm the CEO and co-founder of In On Health. In today's episode, I speak with Eric Perry, the CEO of COVIDCheck Colorado. Eric is a Yale Law alum, an educator, and a social entrepreneur who led COVIDCheck through a rapid scale-up through statewide vaccination access initiatives. With low COVID-19 transmission rates and increasing vax rates in the state, COVIDCheck Colorado now is not working at the same scale that it was earlier in the pandemic. But today you will learn about the critical work that was done by COVIDCheck here in Colorado to reduce the spread of COVID and to make vaccines equitable in our state. We as In On Health also partnered with COVIDCheck Colorado in this work. I hope that you find this discussion insightful as we discuss themes regarding health equity extending beyond the COVID-19 pandemic. Thanks so much for being with me today. I appreciate uh, you taking time to come on the podcast and uh, and share a bit about what you've been doing over at COVIDCheck Colorado and also how we've been partnering. So great to have you. Yeah, thanks so much for the, the invite, KP. It's, uh, it's, it's a fun... Uh Fun new conversation, a continuation of one that's been going for for a good year now. So indeed, yeah. indeed. So, and we've seen lots of twists and turns as so many people have around the country. I'm um, trying to respond to the pandemic, um, but before that, and, and what I like to do in these conversations is is really also get to know the person, and for people listening in, um, them to get to know a bit about you. And you have a particularly interesting. I'll even use the word eclectic background. Um, you are an educator. You're a Yale Law alum. Um, you've worked on political campaigns, and you are now the CEO of COVIDCheck Colorado. Um, you bring such a diverse range of experiences, but all of them seem connected to serving people um, mm-hmm. in our communities here in Colorado and nationally. So maybe we can start by you just sharing a bit about, about you and your background and what, what ties all those different things you've done in your career to date together. Yeah, so the, the through line for me is pretty clear. It's just what, you know, things my mama said to me when I was growing up, which is basically uh, the simplest message that's carried me the farthest is that everyone counts, that each person um, is at their best when you see the best in them and you respond to the best in them and you try to find that best and, you know, help them find it and help it, help it flourish. And so um, that, that's a pretty broad mandate though. (laughs) Uh, That doesn't necessarily tie you to one place or one cause. Um, And so I was raised with that as a kid. And then um, I've been grateful more and more year over year at the way you continue to get raised as a grown person by your friends, by the partners you have in ventures like ours, by uh, the writers and authors who, you know, carry your wisdom from their own journeys. And um, the other piece that I think bolts on to the idea of um, 
that everyone counts is uh, it's a quote from a piece uh, Tiny C. Coates wrote about three, four years ago. He's a, it was actually a piece about Kanye West, and he compares two kinds of freedom. He talks about the freedom of John C. Calhoun, who was the you know racist segregationist senator from South Carolina who was pushing for civil war. And Calhoun's freedom was a freedom without responsibility, a freedom without hard memory. And Coates compares that to the freedom of Harriet Tubman. And that's a freedom that calls you to risk your own freedom. Um, and so I, I, I found that a really bracing call to action. Um, I, I was lucky to grow up with a lot of freedom, a lot of privilege, um, and have had that throughout my life. And that piece helped me see, like, if everyone really counts, if you mean that, it means you got to risk your freedom and you got to risk something of your own uh, to really make the best, uh, you know, more possible for, for others. Um, and so that has just been, it's been a, really a series of experiments, you know, since, since leaving home uh, as, as a teenager to say, where can I, where can I do that? Where can I take a risk that's going to potentially do good for someone else? Mm-hmm. Well, thanks so much for sharing that. And for people listening in, there's going to be a thread here because for Eric, this that first part of the journey um, took shape in being an educator. And um, and that's going to relate to the conversation we have about um, COVID checks. So maybe you can tell us now, like having been an educator um, and then, you know, you you then moved into this opportunity at Gary Community Investments. Um, and maybe you can talk about kind of the intersection of education and COVID response that seemed to be really that first volley into how you guys jumped in to try to respond um, to the COVID need here in Colorado. Yeah, absolutely. So that that was our our initial spark for getting involved at Gary, um, which, uh, yeah, it's a family foundation. It was started in the 70s by Sam and Nancy Gary right in Denver. And the foundation has always been committed to expanding opportunity for kids and families, particularly low-income kids and families. And uh, our CEO at the foundation, Mike Johnston, and I, when we looked out at the landscape across Colorado last spring, what we saw was a half million kids out of school, you know, half a million parents out of work, a million kids out of school. And we, we realized that if there wasn't a path, a safe path back to the workplace for parents and back to the schoolhouse for kids, that opportunity was going to be denied to those families for a long time because many of those were the same families that could least bear the cost and and burden and difficulty of not having access to those spaces and resources. Um, so, it, it, in some ways, our public health play was actually a, a um, an education and economic equity play, which was to say, um, let's let's make testing and tracing and uh, and vaccination eventually. Let's make that available so folks can actually get back to the the building of their own life paths and stories in community. Right. I think that's so fascinating. So, I mean, in the the origin story of COVID Check Colorado, um, it really started with a bunch of people passionate about education who then realized that the pandemic was becoming disruptive. And so, you know, to, to that context. And so for you guys, in terms of your contribution, you know, and when we met and started partnering, that was where we were starting is, how could we support schools in their ability to support children, you know, students, their families? Um, and so maybe you can talk a bit about that origin story of when you launched COVID Check and what we were first doing as partners. And this is last year. It feels like so long ago. Mm. It feels like a really long time ago, yeah. actually. But, uh, <laughs> but maybe you can share a bit of that initial journey. And then we're going to walk through the different phases of how we've partnered to respond to the pandemic here in Colorado. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it really did start. Uh, COVID checked it as a as an effort to 
partner with and serve school communities and organizations because one of the uh, this was something that uh, you and your team at Enon Health have been really, you know, the the leaders and teachers for us at COVID Check On is that uh, trust is such a critical part of uh, of delivering services to communities and partnering with them and and helping them claim power in you know in their own safety and health and security. And so one of our insights early was that um, uh, for a lot of folks, the the, the organization or, or entity that they might trust the most is either their employer and or their child's school. That's an, mm-hmm. that's a team, that's a leadership group. It's a, it's an actual physical location that they're very familiar with and that's likely close to where they live. And so, um, we actually, I, I mean, I just have tremendous respect and appreciation for the superintendents and the leaders of early childhood centers and the teachers out there who were doing their regular job often, uh, with the added complexity of doing it virtually and right. we're taking on the role of public health leaders. And mm-hmm. so, uh, our partnership with COVID checking in on health was there to say, how do we, uh, make a service available, a testing service? And then how do we also, uh, communicate about that service effectively to the parents and families and to the teachers and, and colleagues at those schools and organizations? Um, and then how do we get that information back to them and also in an effective way to the school so that leaders at the school can be responsible managers of public health and make sure that, uh, if one of their, teammates is sick, that they're not enabling that to become an outbreak, uh, for, for other folks in the, in the building. Share for me how you've, what you've seen as you draw the thread and how this has evolved and particularly the work around, um, racial disparities, um, in vaccination access. Maybe you can share how you've seen the evolution in our state of these, these kind of health equity, racial disparity barriers and, and how you've responded over time and how, what we've done as partners. Yeah. So, so, uh, I, I think the partner word is the critical one where, um, I, I think that reflects that, uh, at least the learning for me over the last year has been this, this kind of work when you're trying to attack longstanding historical, uh, health inequities that are also very present. They're not just history lessons. They are statements of the present. Um, uh, and the stakes of those statements, the stakes of those inequities are literally life and death. And so to confront that, it requires trust, it requires partnership, it requires relationships. And in ours, you and me, KP, and then between our two organizations, I think has been a critical pillar of that for our, our community. The evolution over time was taking what was very clear data that told a clear story that this disease was not impacting white and affluent Coloradans with the same ferocity that it was uh, Coloradans of color and those without uh, significant means. Mm-hmm. And so that meant that we needed to tailor a response that made testing, tracing, and ultimately vaccination more available, more accessible, more convenient, um, and adapted to the actual needs, uh, including language of uh, communities across the state that weren't accessing testing in a broad scale way. I mean, it's it's a little crazy to go back in the time machine here because right. uh, now, you know, getting a COVID test pretty much anywhere in the country is 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 not hard to do. You can walk into any Walmart or Costco and literally buy one off the shelf. There are mm-hmm. drive through centers everywhere. Right. Um, this time last year, that was not the case. You know, the, the news stories were about lines around the block and lack of supply. The, the literal swabs exactly. to do the tests were in short supply worldwide. And so um, those kind of uh, supply challenges also hit the uh, communities we care about most, the hardest, you know, mm-hmm. communities of color and low-income communities. Yeah, and tell me about, you know, because we've worked on different things and in, in the, the strategies around now vaccination access, but how have you seen 
the strategies evolve over time in terms of equity? Because this has been something we've been working on from the very beginning. And the strategy and the tactics around how to get to people in need has evolved over time. And so as the leader of COVID Check, how have you thought about those strategies changing over time based on what we've been learning? And where do you see still some huge gaps that we have to address? Yeah. So uh, it's a really important question. And I think it's actually, there's two stories side by side. One is a story of what has not changed and Mm -hmm. what will not change. And one is a story of really rapid improvisation, change, iteration, and, um, and really just listening and then responding. So what hasn't changed, I think, for, for both of us and our teams is just a dogmatic commitment to say good enough isn't good enough for the communities we're here to partner with and serve. That uh, even when you feel the relief of seeing case counts decline in Colorado, we're still seeing today, at, at this point in the pandemic, nine people a day are burying a family member f- because of a death from COVID. And so that, I think, has been a shared commitment from both of us is to say we're actually very impatient and we're going to continue to be impatient with the idea that we can wait around or we can do we can do a six-month study and then come back and then have an idea of what needs to happen next. We're going to, we're going to listen hard and then we're going to play just as hard with the information and the, the insight we've gotten. Um, but that playing hard means doing exactly what you're talking about, which is pivoting over and over and over again and refining over and over and over again the strategy. So to make that more concrete... You know, we, we, we partnered with you all um, to provide, to do, a, to do texting and social media campaigns, uh, even back in the fall, to encourage folks to come and get tested. That was a great first effort. And then in listening to community partners and listening to you all, we realized we need to, uh, we need to continue to make this more and more personable, more and more uh, relatable and, and audible to the exact person who's getting the message. So let's make sure that we're not just doing this in English, that we're doing it in Spanish and other languages. Let's make sure if we're broadcasting a message that we're also going through as many of the Spanish language channels we can to hit Colorado's, you know, 22% of our population is Latino. We got to make sure that we're talking to those one out of more than one out of every five people. Um, And, you know, uh, many of them, their first language is Spanish and that's, that's how they're going to get their information. So those are two quick examples. Um, I think really it's it's actually uh, getting information to people and then getting resources to them exactly where they are. So the other innovation that we've worked on over time, uh, and you all have been the real leaders in this, is is taking the story, the quantitative story we're getting, and turning it into qualitative results for folks right in their own neighborhoods. So down to the census tract level, let's get a sense of what folks' uh, needs and attitudes are uh, and, and get the clear sense we can of who they are, and then let's respond accordingly right where they are. Hundred percent, and I mean, I think that um, you know, I think it's important in this story for you to share also the evolution of the metrics, so people get a sense of the scale and scope of what you're doing. Because we're talking about something that launched with four people in July, and then was doing statewide testing using CARES Act funding and with a focus on equity, and then doing massive acts. So maybe you can share so people understand the scope of this, like how those metrics have evolved in terms of your reach. Yeah. So our our very first testing site, and I'm making air quotes, uh, (laughs) we did a handful of tests at a pop-up tent in a parking lot. um, And now we operate 36 fixed locations all around the state and then, you know, dozens more pop-ups that are there, you know, on a regular cadence week to week. Um, And so we've gone from doing, uh, we were doing a handful of tests a day to doing 6,000, 7,000 a day up to 12,000 at our peak. And then adding on the vaccination effort to that in, in January once vaccine uh, became available here in the state. 100%. And how many people have you supported vaccination for in the state to date? 
we're at, um, I, th- I think we're just over 150,000. Um, we've done about 300,000 doses and about 800,000 tests uh, all, all in. Yeah. Right. And in terms of your equity metrics, is one of the things that we talk about is equity isn't just saying the words of health equity, but it's really about doing the work. And you guys have been very intentional from very early on in your process, measuring everything you do and tracking um, the types of people you're supporting so that you could make sure that your own contributions to the response in Colorado had that equity dimension. And so maybe you can talk a little bit about that. And as the leader of COVID Check, how you infused a culture where health equity is in the center of everything that everyone does, which I think is something critical and that doesn't get talked about enough. Yeah, that this is one of my favorite parts of the story because it's, it's really a story of... Um, the many, many folks on our team uh, and, and your team working together to say yes to new work and new leadership and new new ideas that maybe they'd never tried or led before, but the urgency of the moment and the the love of the people that we're trying to serve prompted us to do that. And so uh, in concrete terms, we we worked with you all to construct what, uh, a high impact measure, which is, so we, we said throughout the fall, we basically had two goals. Given where we were in the pandemic, there just needed to be way more testing. At, at last July, Colorado was 49th out of 50 states in per capita testing. We were at the bottom of the barrel. And that, of course, meant that there were just thousands of cases that were going undetected. And that was leading to, uh, you know, a commensurate number of outbreaks. So we had two goals. One was to just increase volume of testing. Um, but I, I was bound and determined that we would not fall into what can be a classic philanthropic position, which is uh, you say the right things, you find a vanity metric that makes it look like you're doing the right things, and you congratulate yourself without real clear evidence of actually having changed what would have happened without you. Mm-hmm. And that led me to, to work with you all to say, we it's critical that we have an equity metric, that we know that we're actually getting tests. We're not just throwing tests out into the void. We're not just testing the wealthy and affluent folks seven days a week and calling that seven tests and saying that's a spike. What we need to do is make sure we are testing in the communities that have the least access and we're, conduct, uh, we're, we're testing the folks uh, who are most vulnerable. And so what that meant was let's look specifically at the number of tests that are going to Coloradans of color and going into the highest risk zip codes. And we wanted to define highest risk in a really thoughtful way. And you all were critical partners in that because it's actually an intersection as most things in public health are, or the, you know, the, the, the famous social determinants of health, you've got to pay attention to those. So it's not just a question of poverty. It's not just a question of race. It's not just a question of uh, health history. It's the intersection of all those. And if you look carefully at those, they tell a pretty clear story about where you need to go and, and, and who you need to reach out to and connect with to, yeah. to help serve. Yeah, 100 percent. How do you see kind of looking forward not just our COVID challenges with those people who still may want access to the vaccine and can't access it and, and things that clearly are going to have to have an ongoing process. Like we're not done. We're far from done with COVID response, mm-hmm. unfortunately. How do you see that? And then this kind of broader health equity domain and healthcare with, with this having been given so much attention now so that's my two-sided question. Like, where do we go from here with COVID? And then what does this mean for, for other health equity issues in our country? Yeah, so on COVID response, I agree. I don't think the job is complete yet. Uh, obviously, the trends nationally and here in Colorado uh, at those levels are in, heading in the direction we want to see. We're seeing exponential decay of cases and a flatter but continued increase in vaccination rates. Um that's the recipe for eventually reaching something close to community or herd immunity. Mm-hmm. I think the insight that that 
we've been face to face with for a year though, is that herd immunity or community health matters at the level of the neighborhood of the block for the census tract. If 80% of Coloradans are vaccinated, that is, that's good. <laughs> we obviously want that, but that's not very helpful to you if you're in a county where only 20% of people have been vaccinated or worse, if you're in a census tract where it's only seven or 10%. Um, thankfully, there are a few of those places uh, left. But uh, I think what that means moving forward is that, uh, and, and I think the policy momentum at the state level and among uh, private organizations like ours is, is heading in the right direction, which is to say, let's decentralize this, by which I mean, let's, uh, let's personalize it much more. So mm-hmm. rather than saying, setting up what I've called the circus, where we're going to put up a massive tent and invite everyone to come to the show. Um, that was a useful tool for a while. Right. Uh, but now we're much more in a mode of search and rescue um, where you need to go, rather than trying to get people to come to doses, you bring doses to people. And ideally before that, uh, you do what Inland Health is you know, an expert at, which is let's bring information uh, and trusted communication to people so that when the doses then come, they're they're ready to, to say a warm yes to something that can save their life and save their, you know, save the lives of their family members. Tell me more about how you see the role of community organizations going forward, knowing that many of them have typically been under-resourced, but then we put all the burden on them to be that trusted last-mile partner. Yep. Their role is going to increase here, I think. Part of our learning has been at COVID Check over the last six months um, that the the more effectively we can can knit ourselves into that uh, fabric with them or uh, simply give them the resources to n- enable them to continue to add on to that fabric, mm-hmm. the better. Um, because uh, trust isn't something that they have to build. It's already there because they're known, present, you know, beloved leaders within their communities. And so uh, I think it's it's going to be even more important in the, in the weeks and months to come for those organizations to have the platform to convey a message uh, beyond their communities, uh, the, the pathway to get that message to their community members and the resources to do both. Right. There's two things I'm thinking about as you've shared these really important insights. One is, I think what we've learned as a country is that our public health infrastructure is not where it needs to be. And I think when we look at that in our local context, at the end of the day, particularly when you think about equity, the community org, the trusted org is the, is the interface. And any type of public health response or sustained population health response is going to require that intersection of public health and community orgs for sustainability. It's not necessarily about just the healthcare organization or the, the hospital. Um, that leads me to something I've been reflecting on lately about kind of the three E's we think about in policy, efficiency, effectiveness, and equity. You know, usually the theory is, you know, and there's all kinds of these frameworks in policy where you can usually only move two of those levers at any one time, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And as I look at the challenge we have with equity is equity and efficiency sometimes are at odds. And so I think we have this interesting conundrum at the intersection of equity and efficiency Mm -hmm. that we have to consider. Um, But at the end of the day, community organizations have to be front and center and empowered um, in that process. So that's just something I'm reflecting on as I'm hearing what you're talking about. I mean, let's talk more now, you know, going to like, what's next? Like, what do you see going forward beyond COVID now that COVID has kind of unveiled this nasty truth about disparities? Well, what, what happens next in our health system? Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm hopeful, to be honest, and uh, for a couple of reasons. I mean, one, I think this is 
this is the sort of moment and experience that defines a generation for better and for worse. So we will carry the scars in the spirit of this time forward, I think, for the rest of our lives. Those of us who have lost loved ones and family and community members and heroes and celebrities out of our lives over the last year plus, that is something that we will always carry with us. I think the inspiring part, though, is that this is uh, you're seeing record numbers of applications to schools of public health and medical schools. Um, mm-hmm. There's an entire generation of young people now whose sense of what it means to show up for your community and show up for people you might not even know um, is to take part in fighting on the the front lines of, of health inequities. And so I think there's going to be a swell within this generation of folks who have taken uh, perhaps their experience becoming a contact tracer or serving as a, as an admin or, you know, a a test administrator at a, uh, a community testing site. They're going to take that and use that as the inspiration for a whole career where they can run headlong at these, these problems. That's my hope. I think alongside that though, we've seen this across a number of, in a number of ways in the last year, I was talking with my team, you know, this week, obviously, is the anniversary of George Floyd's murder, which also makes it the anniversary of one of the largest civil rights outcries, you know, of of our lifetimes. Mm -hmm. And that was happening at the exact same moment that we were heading into, you know, a a summer surge in in cases of COVID. So it was two massive crises layered on top of each other. The other commonality there is that those weren't new problems. Uh, that actually it was just putting a very bright light for the whole country on something that many, many of, uh, of our, you know, uh, neighbors of color have seen and lived and, you know, born for their entire lives, uh, and for generations back. And so I, I think what's coming next in potentially in health equity is that there's a, there's a renewed attention to the fact that this is always has to be a part of the conversation. You can't have a healthcare conversation without a health equity conversation. Right. Uh, you're actually not having the conversation if you're not bringing that dimension and element to bear. And, and I think that is part of the the like terrible but democratizing power of a pandemic is it shows that actually if I'm not doing my part, I'm putting KP at risk and vice versa. 100%. And, and that risk actually, that, that's part one. Part two is that that risk might be steeper for KP or for someone else in my life than it is for me, depending on where I live, you know, what resources I have, et cetera. Um, so my, my hope is that the, the, the new attention and scrutiny on inequities in health leads to new action and commitment uh, on the individual level from folks who might be inspired to, to serve and on the systemic level um, from organizations like states and governor's offices and the CDC to really make a transformational difference in how this plays out. What do you see in our state when you think about the diversity of issues around equity from urban rural divide to racial disparities and and what would you think is something concrete that could happen that you think could make a big difference here in Colorado? I think there are a few things. Um, a real lesson on this for me, I know you've done through the pandemic and before a ton of work in the Deep South, which is obviously close to my heart being from New Orleans. And the pandemic played out very differently in Atlanta than it did in New Orleans than it did in Denver. And so a lesson you've helped me learn is how critical it is to really pay careful attention to what, it, what these broad themes that we see everywhere in the country of health and equity, um, what it actually looks like. And so I think part of it is, is bringing the insights you, you've helped create with your team um, to say, let, let's actually get the most complete picture of our communities and on an ongoing basis, the most complete telling of their stories, both their uh their, their scars, their strengths and their needs. And then let's respond to that 
rather than just saying, uh, we've got some white folks and black folks and some brown folks and, um, let's just apply a playbook or a template from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. I think that's great insight. And I think in our country as well, we're still working towards common understandings and common definitions around health equity. Um, given that really nice articulation of some of the issues, how do you define health equity based on the work you do and your understanding of the issues? Yeah, so for me, it's uh, it's the intersection of, of data and stories. Uh, and I think a challenge we have in the, you know, the big global plural world we live in uh, is that whether we like it or not, we are all participants in and contributors to systems that are way bigger than us, that have impacts on folks we'll never see and never know. Um, and so it's a tough, for me, just like mentally and spiritually, it's a tough challenge to figure out, okay, how do I do right by the person sitting right across from me at this table or who's my next door neighbor uh, or in the zip code over? Uh, uh, and how do I also make sure I'm doing my part and bearing my responsibility to change the systems that might make it harder for others who want to make that move to okay. that move of, you know, of, uh, of friendship and love and community. Um, you got, you got to do it at the interpersonal level and you got to do it at the systemic level. And I think particularly when you're the leader of an organization or you're involved in these questions of health equity, it's, it's, it's being able to create and look at and understand the numbers that speak about our systems and what they're doing and not doing. And to do that without ever losing sight that each one of those numbers is actually the story of a family and that it's, it's the real lived experience of real people who actually have probably more in common with you than, than they do that's different. Mm-hmm. So part of what I hear you saying is there's a universal element of health equity, which has to do with the ability of and the opportunity for any individual to live their best life, to be, to achieve wellness and the way that they personally need to and want to. But at the same time, the tension there is the local dynamics may look very different from population to population. So, you know, we talk a lot about equity dimensions and that Mm -hmm. each context really can define the equity dimensions that make sense in their population. However, I think the aspiration that we're talking about is arguably universal with regards to people's ability to achieve that state of wellness, that state of holistic health mm-hmm. that they want to achieve. So I think it's, I think what we're seeing now, even in definitions, is that, is that tension of aspiration and mm-hmm. what you described so well as the intersection of kind of data and like this local context. Yeah, I think that's real. I mean, this is, this is vivid for me right now um, on a, distinct but related health equity issue, which is um, transplant policy, where it's one of the areas where you'll see the most grievous inequities, uh, particularly on racial lines. Um, so uh, 10 years ago, August, I uh, anonymously donated a kidney um, to someone in Louisiana um, okay. because I saw that I saw the, I saw, I saw the data. The data told a story. It's like there's 100,000 people on the list. If you are on dialysis or you... Um, uh, are at risk of kidney failure, you are probably not able to work full time and, you know, you may be, you may be on your, uh, you know, on death's door. And so, um, yeah, you can anonymously give a kidney and you can live a normal life afterwards. And so I was like, okay, great. Sign me up. I have, uh, only gratitude for having had that experience, but I also have regret because, uh, I made that move and did that without the fullest understanding of the systems and inequities that surrounded it. So, I see. Uh, even giving anonymously, which I thought meant, you know, sort of 
leaving it randomly to chance who would get my kidney and it would just go to someone who matched my blood type and was in need. What I didn't realize is the system is actually constructed and tilted against people of color. Um, so it was far less likely, even as a random, quote unquote, anonymous donation, that my kidney would go to a matched black or brown patient in Louisiana. Um, and I, th I think that's an example where uh, even at the time, 10 years ago, people were telling me, they were like, you know, why are you doing this? Like within X years, we're going to have like Amazon will be able to Amazon prime you a kidney that has been like 3D printed, you know, like mm -hmm. you're taking a risk for no reason. And my response to that then remains the one now, which is like technology is actually not going to be the thing that can save us by itself. It's just a tool, but it has to be used to build the right things with the right intention and spirit. And I think that's that's true more than more than anywhere else in health equity. Um, that that to me has been one of the big lessons of the pandemic is public health has two parts. The part we are outstanding at in America is the health part and all the technology and research and science that goes behind that. That's how we created you know two world historical life saving vaccines in no time flat. The part we really struggle with is the public part, which is how do we show up for each other? How do we listen to each other's stories? How do we understand each other uh, in, in the the parts of us that are common and universal and the parts of us that are different and unique. And, um, that is, that is the work of human beings. That's going to be the work of community, no matter what AI and, you know, amazing technological advances we make. And that that's work that's really been fun for me to try to think through with and on health over the last year. Wow. I mean, that's really powerful, Eric. And I know somebody out there in the world is alive today because of your kidney donation um, I think you're I really appreciate you sharing your story. So so tell me, like, you know, as you as you you've had such an interesting background, as we mentioned, you've done everything from education to health and in between. So why are you in on health equity um, for the long haul? Because I think I think now you're you're now a public health practitioner, not <laughs> not just an educator. So so why are you in on health equity? I ask every guest that question. Yeah, I, I think it's um, uh, one of my closest friends is a. Uh, uh, an author and a faith leader named Valerie Kaur. Um, she wrote a book last year called See No Stranger um, that is sort of a memoir and a, it's a memoir and manifesto of revolutionary love is a subtitle. Um, she talks a lot about her faith. She's from the Sikh faith tradition. Her, she's, you know, her family's originally from the Punjab area of, um, uh, of India and has been in California for a hundred years. Uh, one of the ideas in that book that had really compelled me um, is a is an old idea from the Sikh tradition, which is to, is is the idea of see no stranger. It's the idea that uh, when you sit across from anyone, when you look anyone face to face, what you think of them is not as an other, not as a stranger. You think of them as a part of me I do not yet know. Um, and I think health equity is actually the place where we can make that the most real on those two levels at the same time, on the interpersonal level, uh, person to person, friend to friend, cousin to cousin, neighbor to neighbor. Um, and, and on the systemic level. Um, and I, for me, that's where it is the most real, uh, and where the, the challenge of being, uh, you know, a citizen of the modern world, uh, comes to life and, and where, um, you know, you can, you can also live the wisdom of, of Cornell West where you can make, you know, uh, justice is what love looks like in public. Um, I think the flip is also true, which is love is what justice looks like in private. And, um, health equity is where that happens, uh, because it's, it's actually what allows, um, you know, families to grow old together <laughs> and, and take care of their kids and, 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 and lead the next generation. And, uh, it's, I, I think the most fundamental, uh, avenue for, for making that happen.
Thank you so much, Eric. I mean, that, that's a really profound point. We appreciate having you on. Thanks for sharing not only uh, uh, what you've been up to at COVID Check, but, but your personal story, because I think it's inspiring for people to hear that this is more than just a job for so many people. And hundreds of thousands of Coloradans have benefited because of uh, the important work you've been doing. So thank you so much. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thanks so much, KP. Thank you for joining us for the In On Health podcast. For more information on this guest and other episodes, please go to www.inonhealth.com podcast. You can also follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter at In On Health. Until next time, this is your host KP signing off.